1: What I see in people who carry suffering for decades with them is that there may have been a lot of therapy at the relational level, but that spiritual injury is still there. The people with whom I've worked, who were assigned so-called BPD, actually had this direct connection to the deeper spirit in life. There was an openness and exquisite sensitivity to really feel and perceive there's clear circuits in the brain through which we perceive being loved, held, and guided. If you can hold love and care and seek love so deeply, then maybe your gift is to love in this powerful way that's ten, a hundredfold what you meet on the street each day. Do you believe that someone's personality can be disordered? Even researchers at the forefront of very classic center field mental health. are starting to think that access to diagnoses, personality disorders, are really an archaic way of the past, very 20th century, for looking at a person. Let's look with clear, open, fresh eyes at the capacities, the possibilities, the opportunities, and the sensitive vulnerabilities that go hand in hand with those capacities let's use the love and the strength of the ability to love as it's not just an antidote it is potentiated by our human foibles and moments of misunderstanding that's a knock at the door for hey okay let's throw a lot of more love at each other you were not just healed you were more than ever before it is not just recovery recovery says oh you're back to baseline or what you would have been if this never happened it's not recovery It is renewal. Do you think there will be a time in the
2: future where we will have no more personality disorder labels?
1: Already the field's gotten better to the point where they no longer think of personality disorders as this clunky little prison that you put someone in. They think more, increasingly more in terms of, is this someone who's open to experience? Are they exquisitely sensitive? well, how does that play out around love and connection? And how does that play out in moments of pain or rejection? And instead, they're looking at our deep human capacities. They're not putting people in a little tiny prison that says, oh, you have personality X. That's really past. In 20 years, I'd be stunned if people used personality disorders as a diagnosis.
0: Do people who identify with symptoms of what's known as borderline personality disorder have a unique ability to connect to the transcendent? Are chronic feelings of emptiness less about being disordered and more about being spiritually starved? My guest on this episode, Dr. Lisa Miller, seems to think so. Lisa Miller has devoted her career to scientific research proving that spirituality is a natural aspect of our humanity and that our brains become more resilient and robust because of it. We're each born with an innate desire to question the world around us in search of something more. A leading generational psychologist on the benefits of spirituality, Lisa is a graduate of Yale University and the University of Pennsylvania, where she earned her doctorate in psychology. She's currently a professor of psychology and education at Teachers College, Columbia University, and is the founder and director of the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute, the very first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology. Dr. Miller is widely published in leading academic journals, has appeared on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and Weekend Today as an expert, and her first book, The Spiritual Child, was a New York Times bestseller. Her latest work, and the focus of today's discussion, is The Awakened Brain, a groundbreaking exploration of the neuroscience of spirituality that sets a bold new paradigm for health, healing, and resilience. In her book, The Awakened Brain, Dr. Miller uses science to show that spirituality, different from religious belief, is one of the strongest protective factors against psychological suffering. Her research clearly shows that our physiological development presents us with occasional moments of crisis at certain times in our lives when we meet those moments of crisis and trauma from a spiritual perspective, we're more protected against psychological suffering in later life stages. Dr. Miller believes that healing from trauma requires bringing greater awareness to the signs and lessons that the universe has for us and bringing those lessons into the future without getting stuck in rumination over the past. Our current me-centered culture particularly strong here in the United States, keeps us stuck and it's keeping us sick. We need to feel connected, to zoom out, to see things from a higher perspective, a perspective that allows us to perceive ourselves as a small part of something much greater. The bottom line is this. Our brains are wired to experience the mystical, and when we lean into this innate capacity, it can serve as the greatest healer of trauma and psychological suffering. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Lisa to discuss her work, her views on spirituality, and the new direction the field of mental health is headed, which will change the way you view disorder labels forever. So without further ado, let's dive right into my life-changing conversation with Dr. Lisa Miller.
2: I'd like to start by helping my audience get to know you and your story. What is your intention
1: with your work? My deepest intention is to help us realize our profound, natural spirituality and set ourselves
2: free. And your most recent book talks about The role spirituality plays in our psychological suffering. And a quote that I think really summarizes your book This is the power of the awakened brain and how it can help you heal from suffering. Healing happens not by simply reliving trauma and getting stuck in a cycle of rumination, but by aligning with a larger meaning of life. And what does it mean for you to align? to
1: a larger meaning of life? And what does that look like for you? So I figured out through five decades of living and three decades of science that the human brain, our innate nature, is built to be in relationship with the deep force of love and guidance. Spirit, my word is God. Some people say Jesus or Hashem, Allah, the universe, the force of Mm. nature, but we're built to be in a deep connection with this profound force and in through our lives. And what is this force? This force is loving, guiding, healing, and never for not one second are we ever alone. And when Mm. we realize and strengthen our natural awakened awareness, we effectively awaken our spiritual brain, with which we were all endowed naturally, we have natural spirituality, then life unfolds in an entirely different way. And I think a great deal of human suffering is because we have been acculturated out of our birthright and we are not using the most profound side of our brain, if you will. We are not using the most profound endowment in our brain, which is the capacity to be in relationship with spirit.
2: I think we all feel that yearning for something more. And for people with BPD, one of the symptoms is that chronic feeling of emptiness. And I call it uh, lovingly the big empty, just this feeling that overcomes you of this deep, lonely, empty
1: feeling. So your beautiful story is really a testimony to how our lives can unfold Mm. when we pay attention and honor the big empty. Mm. Big empty is actually the knock at the door for the spiritual quest. Mm. And you said yes to it. And listen, well, I'm sitting here telling this woman is on a spiritual quest. And the deepest notion of quest is that on our road of life, we might ask a painful question of the head, a nagging question, and then receive an answer through the heart whether it's through a synchronicity, a trail angel shows up and tells us just what we need, or it's through a teaching or a book, a trail angel could have written that book. But the notion of Dharma that we can pick up on our journey through life, that from various different faith traditions, cultures, teachers, which resonates with the deepest harmony of our soul. When I was at my
2: most depressed, I was just sitting in my bed and not doing anything. There were days where I would just not get out of bed for days, watching reality TV, smoking weed. And then the only time I would drag my ass out of bed was to go meet a guy to try to find the one. And then when my life changed was when my partner, he came to me and told me that he felt emotionally abused by me. Normally I would have said, you know, F you, this is over. But I just thought, no, Molly, something's got to change. And that's when I went to therapy. And when my therapist told me that I had BPD traits and she didn't want me to become diagnosed with BPD because of the stigma. uh, She told me, look, you are like textbook BPD with the symptoms. But if you get this diagnosis, you could maybe not get life insurance in the future. If you have a child and there's a custody case, you could lose your child because of the discrimination you would face. And Lisa, it made me so angry. And I just thought, why have this diagnosis? And it made me feel liberated and scared at the same time.
1: Stigma is a very good word to use. It's sort of like the Salem witch trials. And of course, there's an obvious issue about discrimination against women because there's higher rates of so-called diagnosis of BPD among women Mm -hmm. than in men. Let's use another example. If we think about Dyslexia. Dyslexia is a condition in which the numbers and the words move around. And yes, it's harder to read a 400-page book in two nights. And very often, students will be tracked, oh, you're dyslexic, and we found this in fourth grade, and now we're going to track you differently or load you up with different types of programs. But really, That's just one little view of the elephant. It's the elephant's toenail or it's the elephant's tail. It is not an understanding of the totality of the experience of having a mind that on one little edge intersects with academia. And one little point as being so-called dyslexic because brilliant, brilliant, innovative scientists, composers, Einstein, people who knew how to not just take the world as it was told to them and narrated as a child, but had an authentic, creative, fresh experience, could rearrange and see possibility and show others into a new dimension of life. Well, BPD, it's the same story. We're looking just at the elephant's toenail or just at the elephant's tail, but we're talking about a capacity to feel what is the totality and openness to experience? Life is so robust. There's 10 times as many pixels. It's as if you exponentiated life. And so to narrowly say, oh, it's issues of emotional regulation. Well, what about the capacity to feel? What about putting love first? And there's a larger narrative in our post-industrial culture, which is still treating human beings As the functional human being, you know, how much can you do at work? And even beautiful practices such as mindfulness can be disingenuously deployed to make us more productive workers, as opposed to be the porthole of entry into a deeper experience of life. Let's take a fresh look and let's take a look that's driven by a much bigger view of feeling, of love, of spiritual values, Mm. and say, what are the capacities? that need to be engaged and strengthened so that life isn't just, yes, you know, functional and ordinary, but that all of your endowment, that who you really are can flourish and you can be the ultimate you. And that's a person of deep connection. And it hurts more when someone screws you over because you Mm. care about love. Every single one of us, every man, woman, and child on earth is born with a naturally spiritual brain and the way that we often need to be kicked and reminded and compelled to engage our spiritual life is through suffering. I mean, there can be opening through great joy and transcendence. And very often it is through this hunger, this emptiness. And the more we feel and the more open we are and the deeper the vessel, the more the emptiness. And that emptiness is a pounding at the door. Hey, I need to change my conversation with life from what I've been indoctrinated into in center field culture, which is what do I want and how am I going to get it? And whether it's, you know, the professional advancement or the money or the notoriety or this guy or this woman, I want to get what I want. But that's an economic model. That's sort of like how you order out on Uber Eats to get your (laughs) (laughs) dinner. That's that's very transactional. View of life. And while there's certainly some moments of transaction, it is far, it is the little, little, tiny, tiny sliver in a huge life that's full of surprise and dynamism and flux. And the better conversation, much of the time, is to say, okay, not what do I want out of life. But this pain in my heart, this emptiness, what is life opening up for me now? What is life inviting me to explore? maybe I'm at the trailhead. This pain is literally the insistence that I stand at the trailhead of my spiritual quest. And then everything shifts. And we start to know that we're each other's helpers and healers. So you were with a partner. And instead of listening to that feedback and saying, okay, then goodbye, I'm going to remove you from my spiritual path. You said, hey, What is life showing me now? What is this person telling me now? And you use that as an opening to a deep, profound journey through which it sounds like you found profound spiritual growth. You just talked about something that I thought, because
2: I wrote down a quote, you're like saying our, our spiritual core is built on suffering. And like, I've built literally this podcast podcast on my own suffering. And I thought of this Rumi quote, the wound is where the light enters. Yes. If we don't have suffering, we don't know what happy feels like. If we don't have grief, we don't know what healing feels like. We have to have these dark times to understand what light is. There would be no word called light without dark.
1: And this darkness you've described, you shared, had a longing to it. There's a longing yes. for more. Well, that's a gift. The longing says there's something more out there. Yes. It's not about buying something or getting someone else to do something for me, but deep in my own inner being, there's an expansion. I am being called yes. to deepen, to love more deeply, to love through pain, to see and feel the presence of God or Spirit, the force in and through life, to be guided. And to be loved by the highest power. We are built and we can deepen that relationship, you know,
2: and it can look however you want it to look right. It doesn't have to mean
1: going to church. It is. And for some, it's walking in the woods, right? For some, it's meditating, for some, it's prayer, for some, it's poetry, like Rumi. So, but, but we know when we're in an awakened state, because there's a sense of being loved and held and guided. And we know that we're never alone. And what you have done, Molly, is take the next step from the awareness that we're loved, held, and guided to showing up for others to be loving and holding and guiding. It's spiritual walk.
2: You talk in the awakened brain about your experiences as an intern at a psychiatric hospital in the early 1990s. Do you remember patients that were diagnosed with BPD and interacting with them? Well, there's one
1: patient who I I do share quite a bit about in the book Mm -hmm. who suffered terribly. She was a hidden child Mm
0: -hmm. during
1: the Holocaust and old stories of being mistreated. Many hidden children were loved and protected and cared, but this once child was... Really treated terribly. She was anxious. She got sick. She vomited and told to lick up her very own vomit. Terrible stories of mistreatment and unworthiness. And this was someone who, rightly so, was very guarded, very, very guarded. Even her body paled. You know, she wrapped her arms and her face looked very, very flat, not yielding one minute expression. She carried a lot of pain and a lot of very gro- gruesome stories with her. Mm. And At the time, in the 90s, it was very often done in many, many inpatient units. The belief was that somehow by revisiting the trauma, the truth will set you free. If you can gain insight into what happened, if you can become inured to what happened. But it was always going back to that story. And it so happened that this woman came in very, very depressed, very traumatized decades later after her childhood. And was encouraged in this model to revisit, once again, the pain that was intolerable from her childhood. And there she was, a Holocaust survivor, right, of decades. But that Yom Kippur, that season of the Jewish high holidays, she took her life. Oh, my. And the pain... In my heart, she was not my patient, but the pain in my heart is that I think there was a profound misunderstanding in the healing professions, the mental health professions in the 90s, which was to stick with the past, to look at it one more time. Instead of viewing there to be a liberating, loving force in life, instead of going back to that same old door, that historical door, isn't there a door ahead of us? And when we open that new door up to a landscape, sort of a sun-drenched horizon, a field that we don't know what is in store, but we know it's new. And we know that time is a gift. I would say it is a sacred gift. So on this new horizon is something illuminating and redemptive and targeted just for where the pain is that beautiful Rumi poem t- tells right at the incision of her pain, there could be light. So forward-looking, present-looking, what is life showing me now? I think we're talking about the difference here between a psychology of victimization, where I view myself as nothing but the sum of my past, versus an empowering psychology of spiritual awakening, where I realize my deeper nature and then I walk the walk of telling the story of renewal. And what does love really look like, really looks like? The old view of trauma Mm -hmm. is that we are locked in the determinist package of our history. You know, whatever happened to us has written our story and that's who we are. But what you've lived and shared is actually the new story of psychology, which is the past has prepared us to now move ahead as deeply loving, sharing teachers. The past has given us exactly what we need to now awaken more deeply, love more profoundly and teach and share so that the past is our strength. It's not our Hmm. weakness. How
2: can we use our past, but not
1: be stuck there? What's the happy medium in your perspective? The past gave us an understanding of where there is suffering in our own lives and others have felt it too. But as you used your gift of openness, your gift of exquisite sensitivity to, yes, of course, there is pain in the world, but feel the incredible possibility of love with one another. You were not just healed. You were more than ever before, right? It is not just recovery. Recovery says, oh, you're back to baseline or what you would have been if this never happened it's not recovery. It is renewal. It is a whole new station in life. And from Uh, deep love and certainty that you walk through life each day alongside your higher power on the bedrock, on the landscape that is sacred ground, you can show suffering as the doorway to a deepening of heart, to an awakening. Suffering is our doorway to, to being more, not less. It doesn't diminish us. It positions us to be so much more. So it doesn't matter what I look like or where I live. I mean, it's not my zipped up bio bodysuit. It's not my GPS coordinates. And I have perceived, it's not just a belief. I've perceived that we are put in each other's paths help each other walk the spiritual path. And so why is it of all time that today, Molly, I get to speak with you today. It wasn't four years ago. It's not four years from now. It's today. And on both of our paths, it's a profoundly meaningful moment. And so this, this is who we are to each other. Easy when it's a rich, beautiful discussion, like talking with you, Molly, but if there's some completely annoying thing that someone's doing in the Starbucks line or in traffic, that's In your path too, (laughs) as an opportunity for spiritual deepening and greater love.
2: I'm a video game nerd and my partner and I love these narrative video games. We're playing this one called Hackett's Quarry and it's a horror video game, but every decision you make, you either choose to say the nice thing or the bad thing and it it chooses your path. Wow. Right? It's very cool. It's teaching me a lot about myself because you can choose to say thing A Thing be. But the third choice is always to do or say nothing. Uh And and it's not an obvious choice. There's always the option to do nothing. You shoot the gun. You don't shoot the gun. You say the nice thing. You say the mean thing. And it made me think how often in my life I felt like I needed to say something. Sometimes you just don't need to say anything. Fascinating
1: though. Isn't it? As a reminder that there's a choice to act. Yes. Right. There's a choice to act, turn left, and then there's a choice to not act.
2: And we almost never choose that choice. And as a choice,
0: yeah,
1: paralyzed in my fear, anxiety, or yeah,
2: it's a strong strong choice. choice sometimes to do nothing and wait. And I tell everyone on my podcast that the most profound thing in my recovery journey has been, you know, putting space between my big feelings and my reactions because. That's what's always gotten me into troubles when I've just thought, boom, I need to react. Where I can use my emotions as my superpower if I just stop and I go, what is my desired outcome in this moment? I'm feeling this thing, but I want to be connected with this person. I want to love them. If I say what's just going to come out, that's going to not help me achieve my desired outcome.
1: You know, you quoted Rumi. There's another beautiful Sufi line that reads... Nine out of 10 problems resolve themselves without action, mm. given enough time. Life itself is regenerative yes. and renewing and often will present the answer, not on my impatient clock, but in its own true time. Mm. In the United States, about two thirds of people will say I'm spiritual and I am religious, whether I'm Hindu, Catholic, Jewish, whatever, LDS, whatever my tradition may be, right? Right. of people say, I am spiritual, but I am not religious. And that number is higher amongst Gen Z. So whether or not we express our spiritual life through religion and whatever that tradition may be, if we are religious, we all, every one of us on day one are naturally spiritual beings. We are born naturally spiritual beings, just as we have two eyes and ears and a nose, we are endowed with a capacity to feel a deep love and connection to the spirit in and through life and in and through one another.
2: Uh, I really love the imagery of tarot. Tarot cards have some of the most beautiful symbolism and myth. And the death tarot card is one of my favorites because on the death tarot card, there's the the horseman of death. He's on this big white horse and there's a priest, a maiden, a king, and then a child. And they're all reacting to this horseman of death in different ways. And the priest is facing it with a solemn dignity. And then the, the king is horrified. The maiden is scared. And then the child is offering a flower to the skeleton on the horse. My favorite analyst of tarot, her name's Rachel Pollack. And she says that the symbolism of that is that the child, they haven't learned to be afraid of death yet because they know that everything is
1: connected and they aren't afraid. What you say so beautifully is what a parent feels in his or her heart, that this child comes a little baby comes home no matter how they came to you, mm-hmm. and the whole house feels full of light. You can almost see it in your mind's eye. There's this brightness that you can de- feel through the knowing of the heart, detect through the heart as a perceptual organ, and the, you can almost see the glow. The child, through the lens of science, indeed comes a spiritual knower. We know through science that this innate capacity for transcendent connection, spiritual awareness, is in the little baby. We all have this. Yes, and as the baby. He starts to talk and becomes three and four years old spontaneously. We've seen this through published research articles. The child perceives continuity of spirit or consciousness after life, unless socialized out of it. So we come able to see, like the little child holding the flower who you described, Molly. We see the continuity of spirit that we are spiritual beings, and we know that we last and go on as consciousness or spirit after our bodies. Fade. We know that until we're socialized out of it. And similarly, the child knows that we can spontaneously perceive whether it's through intuition or a gut instinct or a mystical experience. Again, the child comes knowing we have direct awareness unless socialized out of it. So mm-hmm. what we can do as parents and friends and as women for one another is to validate and bear witness and honor and embrace And really cherish the sharing of deep spiritual awareness. I want to hear about your spiritual path and your deep, real experience. Experience is hard data. Experience is valid. Experience is the greatest jewel that we're given in our path. It's
2: sacred. I've gotten so many emails from women saying that they've been diagnosed with BPD. And so they're terrified that they're going to be a terrible mother and that they're incapable of being a mother because they're going to, Mess up their child. What is your reaction to that? If you had to speak to this woman who has had this diagnosis
1: and she is terrified that she's going to mess up her kids, what would you say to that woman? In the spiritual child, I share this as well that everything can be renewed, not just fixed, renewed at yeah. two levels. And one is the relational level. So, you know, I'll share the story where I'm have, you know, my kids are now in high school and college, but these were little kids, you know, at the time I wrote The Spiritual Child, three car seats in the back, okay? And every child's a miracle and came their own way, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're all riding in the back and we go to the beach and we unload and everyone runs into the beach and they have their buckets and their castles. And I... I'm just not present. I'm like thinking about something that happened at work, and I'm ruminating about what. What did he say to me? Do I have to handle this? Is he still going to support my promotion? You know, round and round. Um, and is that check going to clear? Because you know. And, and meanwhile, come on, mom, get in the water. Come on, look what we made. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm not really there. And this doesn't go on for ten minutes. This goes on for an hour. And at the end of the day, sadly, that day other days have been better but that day i didn't show up i mean i was there mm-hmm. in body but i what didn't join our family beach experience so we head home we sit down at dinner and i realize what's happened and i say you know i'm so glad that the three of you had a great day at the beach but i want to apologize to you cuz mommy wasn't really there i mean i stood there but mommy was thinking about things about work and things about finances and i i apologize because really you are the most important thing in my life. And that was my mistake. And I, you know, I feel like today was a gift and that I kind of squandered it. So now that I've apologized to you directly, would you join me if mommy made a prayer of renewal? Mm -hmm. And I said something like, dear God, thank you for the gift of these three children. Thank you for the gift of today. I am sorry that in some way I squandered this beautiful day, please renew my heart and open my awareness that I might be ever more connected and aligned with you. That was my prayer in my words. So the fix it was both to renew the relationship, but also to show them, I mean, I could have prayed alone, right? Mm -hmm. But to show them that all can be renewed at the deepest spiritual level. And both levels matter. What I see in people who carry suffering for decades with them, is that there may have been a lot of therapy at the relational level, but that spiritual injury is still there. There was a time in my life where I felt closer to God. There was a time in my life where I could feel the sacred, the spirit in life. There was a time where I woke up so excited. I couldn't wait to get out of bed. And now I just feel like I don't even want to move. Spiritual injury and spiritual injury can be addressed directly. In fact, I'd say it needs to be direct as a spiritual renewal, whether it's through meeting someone, you know, who walks the walk of spiritual life and our lives, whether it's through deep service and care that we reignite our spiritual awareness through love of one another, love of sister and brother, spirituality needs to be addressed directly for spiritual healing, regeneration, and awakening. I feel like
2: the women that write to me specifically the mothers they can take so much from that because kids feel it when you're not there there
1: and just being there. Yes. You know, my center child is exquisitely sensitive. And as a child, she used to love apologies. You know, Mm -hmm. she'd literally skip off and say, you're going to apologize to me now because there was (laughs) such a sense of joy that we're going to be renewed and we're going to focus on our love. We're going to address it and move past it. And we're going to be closer now. So apologies can be bonding and loving and even sacred. We are infinitely forgiven and infinitely renewed. I could make 18,000 mistakes and on the next one, we are renewed. Even if you aren't a parent, you can do this
2: in your relationship with your partners because I said, Zaz opened up to me the other day about a thought he had. And immediately I projected my own experience on this thought and I just started giving him Unasked for advice. It was one of the video game moments where I should have just chosen no action and let him continue (laughs) talking. But instead, I chose to give advice and be very invalidating. And so I spoke and he viscerally retracted and said, That made me feel horrible, what you just did. I just wanted to share with you and I wanted to dream with you. And instead, Mm -hmm. you came in and you just were so realist. And it felt like a dream killing remark that you just made. And I, Got triggered. And so I started saying, No, I need to be practical. And we got into this back and forth, back and forth. And I knew that I was kind of wrong. And I just stopped and I said, Zaz, I'm really sorry. I know that you shared this wanting to be connected with me. And I can see how what I said just completely destroyed any chance of us connecting. And also, it would make you feel nervous to come to me in the future. And I never want that to happen. Can we please just rewind, start fresh? I- Lovely. Made culpa, right? And Lovely. immediately, Lisa, his his reaction was, and he said, "Yes, okay, I love you. Let's go back." And and it was just over. Whereas if we would have kept going, that night could have turned out very differently. Were able different
1: to way. reflect and in that moment apologize, and he was able to say, "Oh, thank you." Now let's yes. drink, right? Yes. So that love it was renewed. You also on your trail together right this quest that you share have something incredibly powerful now which is a point of reference where you could say is this a dreaming moment or is this a practical moment tell me how shall we inhabit this
2: Uh, This is what I try to tell the couples that call into the podcast too. This is a process. It takes time and you have to work together and you have to realize that it's so easy when emotions run high to start thinking it's me against you. And that attitude just never works in any way. For
1: people who share in this incredibly deep, real podcast, what if you were to put words on that, what Mm -hmm. would that sound like? Like, what is this moment showing us now? I consider sort of an awakened stance saying, What is life showing me now? Well, you're together on this quest. Yes. What is life showing us now? Both are more. You're both more for the moment. And I love that you allow each other to learn and then move forward. We're here to learn. Thank you. I'm sorry. Let's move forward. And there's no yes. guilt. It's just about this loving journey of discovery.
2: And it's so easy to see our partners and anyone, our boss, as the enemy when they're trying to bring something to our attention. And I'm reading What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah, and he said something this morning when I was listening to it. We project what we expect. That's what I've had to work on, and I think so many people who identify with the symptoms of BPD, we really expect that the world is this awful place, and the people in it are out to get us because we have really deep abandonment fears. So I feel like anything that anyone says that is maybe in a way critical or asking more of me. I project my abandonment fear onto it. My boss, if he emails me, hey, can we talk tomorrow? Oh, you're fired. You're going to be homeless. It's going to be a horrible thing. And then nine times out of 10, it was just, hey, I didn't know where you put this folder. Can you show me, right? Anything is just a trigger for that abandonment. But I realize if I'm always expecting that everyone's going to go, that's what I'm going to get. And that's what I got for years. What I projected outward created this self-fulfilling prophecy of people leaving my life.
1: Molly, you've rewritten one of the most important ways that we talk for ourselves. You've moved from why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to me? To why is this happening for me? And why did this happen for me? And it's the view that all of our past prepares us to be more compassionate, more connected to one another, deeper, deeper, deeper love. And yes, more in dialogue with spirit, with what's real. So you've chosen to say all of that learning from the past how can I say, yes, this is a gift, right? It wasn't necessarily right how other people acted. You're not saying that, no. but you're choosing to say this happened for me so that I could become the person who I am that teaches, that loves, that knows how to be in love with someone without expecting perfection of them or myself, that actually our human journey is what makes us love each other more. You didn't you know, want to marry Barbie and Ken. You wanted to have a human journey. That's
2: exactly right. And that's the only option. So we better get used to it, right? Like we only have the messy, imperfect thing where where our traumas are bumping up against each other. And the best we can do
1: is say, whoa, was that another one of those? We love each other. And let us make it so we love each other more. It's yes. a choice. Like, oh, my imperfection, your imperfection, the vulnerability, the failure. I I love you more. Yeah, you know? and
2: we're choosing to see that's that. Yeah. It's that's powerful. One question that I do have that I really want to get to because as I was talking to Zaz yesterday after we had our initial talk, I thought, oh my God, if, if I could take Lisa and clone her a thousand times and give someone with your perspective as a clinical
1: psychologist to every person with BPD, the world would be a better place. The people with whom I've worked who were assigned so called BPD actually had this direct connection to the deeper spirit in life. There was an openness and exquisite sensitivity to really feel and perceive. Spirituality as our birthright, natural spirituality is a gift to perceive. There's clear regions in the brain and clear circuits in the brain through which we perceive being loved, held, and guided. And it is remarkable to me that the capacity to feel and bear witness and experience the spirit spirit was very strong in people with whom I've known and worked who were assigned so-called BPD. So let's get a much bigger picture going here and ask a positive psychology question, a spiritual psychology question, which is what is your greatest capacity? What is your endowment? What is your gift through which to strengthen love and give? And if you can hold profound spiritual, intense spiritual experience, if you can hold love and care and seek love so deeply, then maybe your gift is to love in this powerful way that's ten, a hundredfold what you meet on the street each day. Do you believe that someone's personality can be disordered? I consider that a view that's becoming archaic. And even researchers at the forefront, of very classic center field mental health are starting to think that access to diagnoses, personality disorders are really an archaic way of the past, very 20th century for looking at a person. So, you know, let's look with clear, open, fresh eyes at the capacities, the possibilities, the opportunities, and the sensitive vulnerabilities that go hand in hand with those capacities. and think about what are someone's strengths, their innate birthright, how can we strengthen this love, this spiritual connection, this use of suffering, like you just shared in your beautiful relationship with Zaz, hard moments, misunderstandings, moments of disappointment as the porthole for, "Oh, I get it. I love you so much more even now." Let's use the love and the strength of the ability to love as it's not just an antidote. It is potentiated by our human foibles and moments of misunderstanding. That's a knock at the door for, hey, okay, let's throw a lot of more love at each other. You move in the highest levels of mental health and you have access to so much research. Do
2: you think there will be a time in the future where we will have no more diagnostic personality disorder labels?
1: And yes, what do you I do. Think, I that think that will look like? Right. So already the field's gotten better to the point where they no longer, you know, people at the cutting edge no longer think of personality disorders as this clunky sort of little prison that you put someone in. They look instead at people's capacities, people's potentials, people's dimensions of perception. And they think increasingly more in terms of is this someone who's open to experience? Are they exquisitely sensitive? Well, how does that play out around love and connection? And how does that play out in moments of pain or rejection? And instead, they're looking at our deep human capacities. And we have many of them. They're not putting people in a little tiny prison that says, oh, you have personality X. That's really past. There's still archaic use of that. But in 20 years, I'd be stunned if people used personality disorders as a diagnosis.
2: That gives me so much hope. I can't wait till 20 years. People are like, damn, that episode aged really well, because I would love to say that we predicted the future here in this episode. In a perfect world, how would you treat someone who has been assigned
1: the label BPD? Mm -hmm. I would invite them into a direct relationship with their higher power. For some people, it's dusting off a rusty prayer. It's meditating in nature. It's walking along people of great service and love, but invite them into a reawakening of their natural spirituality. And through Mm -hmm. their awakened awareness, tap this incredible potential for love and connection. This deep, deep notion that we are loved and held and we can be loving and holding of each other. And what you've done, Molly, which is use moments of difficulty, moments of misunderstanding, as openings to love even more, love life even more. That's a choice. That's a stance. And that's saying, yes, life is a quest. And it's actually our misunderstandings and bumps in the road that draw us deeper to spirit. This episode is going to give people who have been labeled with BPD
2: or who identify with the traits so much hope. You- had this exercise called the three doors exercise. And I think it ties so beautifully in with what we're talking about because it gives us this power of agency in our our lives. lives. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is and explain it to my listeners? Should we do it? Should we do it? Yeah, I would like that. Yeah. Together with everybody, right? Yes, yes, yes.
1: Okay, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and take five breaths to calm and open up your inner space. I welcome you to remember a time, identify a moment in your life where you had planned and prepared and done everything right. I mean, A plus B plus C to get into that college, to get that promotion or that job, to marry that man or woman. You had done A plus B plus C. You had researched, you had trained, you had put in the time. It was your turn to be quarterback. It was your turn to be head of the student council. It was your turn to get that job promotion. And you knew that red door was yours because you had prepared. But as you reach for that red door, you put your hand on the doorknob, you turn and it's stuck. And it makes no sense. It's shocking because everything was lined up. And it was yours. And it was way too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance. What on earth is going on here? And that red door, you might be angry. You might be depressed. You might give way to being deflated or hopelessness. But just because that red door was stuck, once you're past the fury, once you're past the despair, you have to keep going. You shift. And you might turn 20 degrees. You might turn... 90 degrees, you might turn 110, 20 degrees, and suddenly you see a bright, shining, open yellow door. And the yellow door is ajar. You can walk right through the yellow door. You might have said there weren't even yellow doors, never seen a yellow door. a whole nother type of job that turned out to be so much more right for you. a life partner who made you feel a way you didn't even know was in your inner being, opened your heart and made you love a way you didn't know could be. It could be a new mentor. It could be a new opportunity that you didn't know existed. And you walk through the yellow door and there's a landscape that's bright and it wasn't what you wanted. It is better than what you wanted. Now at that hairpin turn where you had to Leave the shut, locked, jammed red door and do a tight hairpin turn to get to that yellow door. Was there anyone who helped you, who said something? It could have been someone you just met for two minutes, someone on the bus, someone at a party, someone at work for two minutes revealed something that of all days of the three years before and the three years since hadn't been said, they said it to you that day. Or maybe it was something said by someone you talk to often, like your grandma, but spontaneously she shared something she'd never shared before. Well, who was that helper or healer at that hairpin turn? And were they something of a trail angel guiding you on that hairpin turn? Now, as you step back, and you reflect on how very different your life is in a really important, meaningful way for having crossed the yellow door into this new, bright landscape. Your life today is entirely different had you not made that hairpin turn. Let's look at the shut red door, the wide open yellow door, the hairpin turn, the trail angel. Let's sit way back. Where in this road of life that is yours, where in your road of life is spirit, is God, is your higher power? Where is the force in and through life that shuts and jams red doors, brings trail angels, and opens yellow doors? And where within your deep being, your natural spiritual brain was awakened to see The trail angel to have faith in a hairpin turn to trust with love the ground you walk on and to go somewhere new because red doors are based only on backward looking information. I want that. I want that because of what I've seen in my life. And it looks so good based on what I've thought I wanted and what others told me was important and what I always passed over my back shoulder wanted. But yellow doors, yellow doors take us places that we don't even know exist. Yellow doors have information yet to unfold. And this is the deepest act of faith. This is a spiritual trust in God, our universe. And this is your birthright. We can line up tactically, strategically for red doors, but achieving awareness alone will never get us by itself to the most extraordinary life-changing journeys of yellow doors. That is our awakened awareness And it's yours. And now I might invite you in a time of peace and quiet to do this exercise two more times and look at at least three doors, far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance, through which Spirit, God, your higher power, has walked with you. And you have walked with your higher power. Wow
2: that is such a powerful exercise. So I was a musician before and I I worked my ass off. I had a meeting in Hollywood at Interscope Records. I moved my whole life there. I got a manager and I was this close to getting a record deal. Mm-hmm. And a really horrible situation happened where the guy that was managing me tried something sexual with me. And when I called him out on it, he dumped me. So they're all my songs that I had recorded. I lost access to them. No more record deal. No more nothing. That's when my really bad suicidal thoughts happened. This was a very dark time in my life. But now I realize that that shutting, I would have been like a bird in a gilded cage with a record deal. I would have been at the mercy of all of these men trying to make me be something I didn't want. But I always thought because... I want to write music. That's my only path to speak my truth. But then now, look, I'm using my skills that I had like audio and engineering, recording my voice, and I'm speaking my truth in my way. No one owns my podcast. And that was my yellow door. I never thought a podcast would be the way that I would use my audio and my voice. But now it's so much better than I could have ever expected. But I had to trust.
1: That is profound. That is a beautiful story of your road of life.
0: Yes. It is
1: extraordinary. And in my heart, I'm also taken that in addition to the audio and your beautiful voice and your understanding of communications and the whole technical side, you also bring spiritual wisdom because Mm. you made a choice in that moment. Yeah. You made a deep spiritual choice and it opened up infinite possibility.
2: It did. Because I remember when that guy tried to get with me, this guy who was supposed to help me, I knew it would be easy for me to just let him do whatever he wanted. That's what I'd been doing with guys my whole life. But there was something inside of me that just thought, no, I I won't get my dream this way. I don't want to live my life knowing that I got my dream because of this. And I said, no, no. And then everything fell apart. It was still three or four more years before I started my podcast, but I trusted that
1: something better would happen. And it did. You made a spiritual choice. And what opened up, that was a wormhole between two universes. And you made a spiritual choice to the wormhole through this universe with infinite yellow doors, Yeah, the voice of truth, reaching thousands of people on the journey. All in the power that is of that porthole, that choice.
2: In order to find spirituality, what I realized is we're just a piece of this connected fabric. And
1: that is God to me. You made a soul choice. Yes. Right? Moments in our lives where we know we're making a soul choice. Yeah. And what you chose opened up infinite soul possibilities. In the split moment right here now with our eyes, we have no idea what's on the other side of the soul choice, but we know that we're on a side of life, of spirit, that where we're loved and held and guided, and we will never be alone. And that is a chariot that is sure and true. And every time comes through.
2: Lisa? Thank you so much for being here with me today. What are you working on next? What's next for the incredible Dr.
1: Lisa Miller? My hope is that we all can realize our deep spiritual nature. And so now we're working with schools, with universities to help awaken. We have awakened campus. We have awakened schools. We're working with the U.S. Army. The Army is dedicated to strengthening the spiritual core. We're working with organizations and institutions so that Adults can walk to work and it can feel good in the lobby instead of this sinking, hollow, gutting feeling. Mm-hmm. So we're helping organizations become awakened organizations, whether they're businesses or hospitals, anywhere. So this is our birthright. But when we do what you did, Molly, which is make a soul choice in our personal lives, in our work lives, then everything opens up. It's like a big, bright beam opens up space and time around us and we can bring others with us. Yes. Yes. And that's exactly what this podcast is
2: meant to do. And I know this is going to just help so many people. And I encourage you to who's listening, you know, find what spirituality means to you. There is no one set way to do this. And I highly recommend you read Dr. Miller's books. I'm gonna link to them in the show notes.
1: I am so grateful to you for this beautiful discussion and for your podcast, for the clarity and integrity and soul choices you make every time you open up discussion in your podcast. So thank you and bless you in your ongoing quest. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. So
0: that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa Miller and were touched by it as much as I was. It's my intention that by sharing interviews with experts like Lisa who are at the cutting edge Of her field, that anyone who identifies with the symptoms of BPD can hear this and be full of hope for where we're headed and the future of the field of mental health. You are not incurable, you're not broken, you don't have a disease that makes you impossible to love or without hope of a future full of connection and opportunity. Everything is open for you. Find your yellow door. Maybe this conversation can be something that sparks that. I'm sending you all of the love within my heart that's possible to share over this microphone and I hope what you heard today changed the way that you view yourself or someone you love. And in closing, I want to let you know that support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via my ACAST Premium Access Membership, which you can access via my website at backfromtheborderline.com. This podcast is my job. It's how I'm earning a living. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, if it gives you hope, if it helps you in moments when you're struggling, if it makes you laugh, then please consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. My premium membership is the price of a couple cups of coffee once a month, and that's it. But if you can't afford that, You don't have to worry. You can listen for free. And the person who can afford it is paying for you to listen for free. So that way everyone gets a podcast. I get to earn a living. And it's a beautiful model based on kindness from you, my listeners. But I would urge you to become a premium access subscriber if you can afford that price of a couple cups of coffee a month. Because that's what keeps this podcast completely, fully independent. I'm not beholden to any advertisers. That's what makes podcasts crappy. And it what makes a lot of media really crappy. It's when advertisers step in into a healing or creative space and say, we're sponsoring this and now you have to change how you make the thing you make in order to accommodate our advertisements. Certain podcasts that are sponsored by big corporate brands may get messages from their sponsors that say, hey, don't talk about suicide or self-harm or BPD this week. We don't want you doing a podcast on that. That's not going to get a lot of likes. It's not going to get a lot of listens. And we're paying for this with our brand. So instead, can you interview so-and-so because that's going to get way more clicks so just do that instead or or else we're going to pull your sponsorship and I don't want to operate like that I want to be able to tell advertisers to kick rocks and I've deleted many advertising and influencer opportunities out of my email inbox already I want to make what I want to make and I want each week on my podcast to be genuinely something I'm passionate about or something that's going to help my listeners. So when the podcast is actually funded by you, my listeners, I have the freedom to do that. And don't just support my independent podcast. Support whatever independent podcast you enjoy and that you listen to and it doesn't have to just be monetary support like the podcast Follow it on the podcast app you listen on, share it on your social media, speak about it, recommend it to a friend or your therapist, leave a review. These are all ways that you can help independent podcasters like me in an environment where independent podcasters are being absolutely crushed by big corporate goals. So if you can do any of those things to support me, that would mean the world. So if you're interested in becoming a premium subscriber, you can click the link at the bottom of the episode description here in this episode, or you can visit backfromtheborderline.com. Once you're there, you can click unlock premium access and you'll be walked through everything you need. So I thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for your support. And I'm sending you tons of love. I'll see you next week. So as you know, my premium subscribers get an additional full episode of the podcast each week. Sometimes I will release half of an episode, fade out, and make the second half available to premium subscribers, or I will record a more intimate, reflective episode that's private on my premium subscriber feed. And that's what I did this week. Share some personal reflections about my behind-the-scenes talks with Lisa Miller, my upcoming trip home to see my family, and then we talk in depth about a really powerful emotion, grief. This episode is going to be helpful and healing for anyone who has lost something so many of us don't give ourselves the opportunity to process grief and it's a really important stop on our healing journey so together we'll talk about grief how to access that feeling and how to move through it in a healthy way so if you've lost something someone an opportunity this episode will be great for you. So what I'm going to do is play a snippet of the episode. And if you want to hear the full episode, you will need to subscribe to premium, which I've already described. You can do by clicking the link at the bottom of this episode, or you can go to backfromtheborderline.com and click unlock premium access. So I hope you enjoy this free snippet of this week's premium subscriber episode. If you choose to sign up, What will happen is you'll get a link to my private RSS feed after you sign up with ACAST Plus, and then poof, the episode will be there for you. And with your new fancy-schmancy private RSS feed that you will get, instead of getting one episode every week, you will get two. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's dive in. Is there any sadness that you carry that has not been honored, either by you or by the people around you. What is it? Give yourself a second to think about that. What's the sadness that you're carrying around that you haven't given yourself permission to really honor? What have you lost? Now, give yourself permission to grieve this loss no matter how stupid or inappropriate it might seem. Processing genuine grief is never inappropriate and it's actually the only way to heal. Whatever loss you're grieving, examine it very carefully for replaceable parts. Even if you can't recapture exactly what you've lost, you may be able to jury-rig an arrangement that fills all your desires, precluding the need to spend painful hours, days, and weeks rending in grief. Cast your mind back to something you've lost, something that left you feeling cheated. Exactly what about this thing do you still miss? Is there any way, any way, you could get something to fill this need? Be creative. Our deepest grief, of course, is reserved for things that have no acceptable substitutes. Loved ones, relationships, health, hope, dreams. Trying to replace someone special to you, or something you once were, is as useless as trying to replace the sun with a lava lamp. If you've suffered this kind of a loss, the road to your north star lies through grieving. There's nothing to do but mourn, and the pain will disappear a lot faster if you lean into it. So that's it for the snippet of this week's premium subscriber episode. If you'd like to hear the rest of it, go ahead and sign up at backfromtheborderline.com. Until next time, I hope you have the most amazing week, sending you big hugs and lots of love directly from me.